The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome back, America. It's Dr. Bruce Grossinger for another edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. We've got a great show today. We've got Dr. Alan Silberman, who's a Vietnam vet a pilot, and a psychologist. We also have Dr. Kevin Crutchfield, who is the uh, team physician of the Baltimore Ravens and Orioles. Our last segment will be a Mavs Heat preview. The NBA Finals are starting in just a few hours. But as always, as is my custom, I'm always blessed to have the sports director of Voice America, Mr. Ray Ellis. And uh, today's a particularly timely time to have Ray talk to me because essentially Ray is a distinguished alumnus of Ohio State University, a tremendous uh, football place, and Ray, a former Eagle, I, I just heard the end part of your show with Kwame, and I wanted to you know, kind of introduce this discussion of Jim Trestle resigning on Memorial Day and how you know, the five-month spree that led up to it. Uh, well, you know, Doc, it was um, you know it was a sad day for uh, just for football, not just for Ohio State University, but for football. You know, Coach Trestle had uh, uh, been very, very competitive there at the university. He led a team to uh, BCS bowls and to Big Ten championships uh, over the past um, you know decade, and uh, produced some quality young men there who have been able to. Um, a uh, few of them have gone on to the National Football League and been very successful, but uh, many of them uh, beyond that have got a chance to get their education their degrees and go out and be productive citizens in society. Uh, it just so happens that uh, during his tenure there, there were a few things, uh, indiscretions by some of his players, of which uh, he uh, attempted to go to their aid and perhaps maybe uh, made a, a few bad decisions on his own, of which uh, he's had to pay dearly for uh, and resign from his job. Uh, but certainly I appreciate uh, what he did for the university there on the football field as the head football coach and uh, trying to do the best he could to protect his players and perhaps maybe, um, you know, the university as well. But uh, sometimes uh, our indiscretions can uh, cost us dearly. Yeah, you know, I was always impressed with, with Coach Trestle. And, you know, it, it's a tremendous pressure cooker to work in the Big Ten, you know, into to play Michigan and Penn State at all the schools. And we, we talk, I mean, I was listening to Kwame before. We come back to the same thing. You know, some of these athletes really are, are dirt poor, you know. And, and, you know, is there some, if there is some entitlement to some type of stipend system, 
th- that would potentially help avert such a situation. I also I was listening to uh, Dick Vitale earlier today, and um, he was a former coach. And as far as the rules and the details of the rules, they're almost they're so complicated that it's almost impossible for one person to digest all the rules. And um, and it is a sad day. And, and I know um, it was you know I, I, we have to talk about it today because it's you know we're talking about Ohio State, a very big program, and. Um, it's when it first came out. It sounded to me pretty trivial, you know, some guys getting some free tattoos or trading autographs for tattoos, and uh, and I think this thing, I guess, took a life of its own. Well, you know, I'm going to agree with you. You know, um, uh, it to me, it it sounds to be uh, trivial as well. You know, um, uh, as a matter of fact, I would think that the guy uh, who gave uh, the tattoos to the guys in exchange for a Big Ten ring. Or perhaps maybe um, you know some other uh, materials uh, of which uh, uh, were owned by the players, a jersey or something of that nature. I would think that he was the one that uh, that got the the, the better uh, of the deal. Uh, but uh, tattoos, I was not aware of the cost of uh, tattoos today. Uh, but I certainly would say this. I mean, now that I am aware of the cost of tattoos today, when I look at uh, the young men that run up and down the basketball course and, and those that I see on the football field, I mean, there's there's a, a suspicion there that uh, there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of things wrong when it comes to the cost uh, of those tattoos. And so um, I'm not so sure that it's going to stop at Ohio State, uh, but I believe that Ohio State, uh, the issues with them um, will probably accelerate uh, a new system uh, because uh, there's there are things that are going on across every university, every major university. Everybody, I've heard, not everybody, but I've heard a few pinch, people mention the name of uh, Notre Dame University as being one that uh, perhaps maybe is uh, pristine, clean. But I can guarantee you, they do not want the NCAA's running up into their university investigating what's going on there. So. Um, I don't want to see any of these young men get themselves in trouble. I don't want to see another coach lose their job uh, because of some rules that um, have some uh, pretty significant uh, punishments that are just uh, antiquated and need to be changed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if we look at the, the last year, the coach of Tennessee, Bruce Pearl, was another one who seemed to be a great coach. He had a lot of charisma, and he was exciting for, for the game, and he seemed to be very good for Tennessee. And uh, gentlemen in Indiana, uh, basketball coach, it just seems like there's a whole succession of this. And I think it's almost a little bit like, like getting in an audit, you know, with, with the government. I think once, once a program gets in the teeth of an NCAA investigation, there's, there's so much to find. And there's so many players that it's, it's almost impossible to be totally scot-free. And uh, hopefully there might be a simplification of, of the rules so we can understand them. But I, I feel bad, you know, for Coach Tressel. It, it, Ohio State's a great program. It's, it's going to survive. I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll hire an, another great coach. But it, it's just sad when, you know, uh, it reminds me a little bit. When, when my fraternity, uh, I went to Lehigh's small little place. Uh, s- some of the brothers did something where my fraternity actually lost its credentials and lost its license. And, and I was so proud of that place. And, and I wasn't even there. And now we're waiting for it to come back. So I guess... Whenever our, our university gets under scrutiny, you know it's it's a, it's a sad time. And I know, uh, you know, I've, I've read a lot about your career, and you've you've done a lot at Ohio State. So it's I'm sure you've collaborated with uh, 
with, with, with fellow players, and uh, there seems to be a lot of discussion today about this. Yeah, well, you know, and one thing about it is that I have uh, spoken to a, a number of young men that have uh, come after uh, my time with the university, and, and I've spoken to them, and I've uh, spoken to them uh, in a way of which uh, I spoke very highly of the university and what it stood for and the opportunities there and the education and and things perhaps maybe that could uh, happen to one who takes advantage of his opportunity to get an education and to play ball there. So I, I still, I will still recommend young men and young women to attend uh, the university. You know, it's just, it, again, it's one of those things that uh, this thing has taken on a life of its own. Uh, but certainly it... Um, it will it will damage the university for a very short period of time. Some people will look at it. Some people will say some very negative things. Uh, but it's a great university, and I I think it's one that uh, anyone who is considering an education and also is uh, considering an opportunity to play college athletics should certainly consider the Ohio State University. And I I say that holding my head very high, and um, you know very honored. Yeah, exactly. I mean. We understand rivalries. You know, in Philadelphia, obviously, we have the St. Joe-Villanova rivalry. And when one of the teams is down for one reason or another, and there's college shows like this, you always hear people beating up on the other team. And I'm sure there'll be, you know, unfortunately, there'll be the share of Michigan alumni. Oh, yeah. Who are, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they can't wait, you know, and, and, and for good reason. I mean, when they, they were down, it's about a rival. Uh, you know, we, we, we kicked them as well. But, uh, you know, but again, that is uh, probably the greatest rivalry. It was uh, identified as the greatest rivalry in college football. I think it was by ESPN. And, uh, and so we'll have to build it back up to that because uh, Michigan's program, in terms of their win-loss, is on, on the football field. They haven't uh, been performing uh, to the uh, uh, to the level they've been performing in, in previous decades. Uh, and so they'll build that program back up, and uh, Ohio State will have to do what we have to do in order to, to, to rebuild our reputation because uh, the program certainly hasn't gone down. We've yet to see what's going to happen this year. Uh, but certainly I think those young men will do everything they possibly can to go out and have uh, an excellent football season. You know, we probably have to wait to see, too, based upon uh, the sanctions that come down, it could be that some of those young men may may transfer from the university. We really don't know what's going to happen, and all that is uh, yet to be seen. Yeah, yeah, that'll be unfortunate. I it reminds me a bit of the Baylor basketball. You know that that scenario was was really tragic. You know that whole situation, and Baylor lost their whole program. Everybody transferred. And, and more recently, in, in the, the last few years, the program has really risen up like a phoenix from the ashes. And now it's an excellent program. And I think the people running the program at Ohio State will be very cognizant of all the potential pitfalls. And uh, it's just one of those things that, that's going to happen. And uh, uh, it's just sad. It's sad for the university. And I'm hoping that they're – I think in some way Coach Trussell leaving should hopefully obviate and hopefully mitigate you know the the penalty for these players. You know who 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 enrolled in the school. It's a it's a, they're fine athletes and it's a great school, and and they they really I'm sure would like would like to fulfill their commitment to Ohio State University. Well, I can say this too. There are a lot of people out there that uh, there are a lot of corporate sponsors right now that aren't too happy because Ohio State recently just signed a a mega deal uh, as it uh, pertained to uh, I think it's IMG who has taken over. 
um, you know, some of the uh, marketing as it relates to athletics at uh, uh, the Ohio State University, and I'm sure uh, a lot of that had to do with uh, future, you know, TV broadcast and uh, and perhaps maybe even uh, bowl game appearances. And uh, some of those people that were expecting that, those things may not be happening. So um, I don't know if those uh, TV contracts will stay in place or if uh, – those people because of the talent perhaps maybe that they think uh, may not attend the university uh, they may look elsewhere but um, again this is going to be um, um, kind of a, an effect where it's a trickle down effect uh, and we'll see what happens well Ray uh, uh, I, I did play the leading off with this but I, I really appreciate your insight today uh, we're up against our first break and I just wanted to thank you. I, I listened to your whole show. It was fascinating. I wanted to thank you for joining me on Bruce the Sports Doc. Thank you, Doc. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. This Is It Sports is an engaging talk program that includes you, the experts, and sports, all moderated by Coach Carl Hargrave. We'll talk about what's going on in the general sports world, collegiate and professional, take a look at youth-oriented sports, athletic development and sportsmanship, faith, and where it has its place in sports, along with a lively discussion with Coach Carl every week. Tune in to This Is It Sports with Coach Carl Hargrave every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Alan Silverman. Dr. Silverman has been with Grossinger Neuropain Specialist for four years. He is a doctor of psychology and psychotherapy. He's had extensive university teaching experience, and he's here to talk about over 40 years of experience with his patients who are athletes who've suffered concussions and how he approaches them from a psychological standpoint. Doctor, welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc. Well, thank you for having me. Well, 
I want to hear about exactly what you do in the office. You see these people, you see these patients. A lot of times, they want to go right back to the field of play. They don't believe they really suffered a concussion, and they have something called denial, where they don't really believe that they have psychological problems. Could you tell us about how you approach this subset of patients? This is a very interesting subset of, uh, of patients because generally they're very highly motivated. Because of this high level of motivation, however, they may distort the uh, severity of the injury that they're suffering, and that's both physical and emotional. And we notice that what takes place with these patients is that, uh, in essence, they're not as sharp. They have memory types of problems that, that take place. They have radical mood changes. Some of them will have problems with sleep. Their interpersonal relationships are affected, and many times some of them will even isolate themselves because uh, they just don't feel like the person that they used to be. And the question becomes, how do you deal with it, uh, which I think is a very good, uh, a good question. Um, the first, first step uh, is uh, that of getting them to deal in the here and now of real life, and we get them to look at, at the circumstances taking place around them on a daily basis. Are they functioning as they did before? Once they recognize that their functioning is not the same and that their interactions with other people is not the same, they're much more amenable to taking a look at what is actually going on. And in the treatment that we provide in the, in the clinic, uh, we, we try to take a reality orientation. We'll first try to instill a sense of hope within them that things will become better. We try to get them to avail themselves of existing support systems, the best of which is often their own family and close friends. Next, when uh, depending on the severity of the illness, we made uh, of the uh, injury. I'm sorry, of the injury. What we'll do is is to try that, uh, to get them to uh, compensate for uh, the limitations that may have come up, and the compensation could be. Uh, that of using different parts of the brain or emotionally compensating by finding reward in things they are capable of doing. And this is very important during the healing process because nobody can say exactly how long it will take for them to emotionally and physically heal from these injuries. So doctor, uh, a lot of times when we think about concussion, we think about the physical problems. We think about headaches, we think about memory problems, but underneath this, the underpinning is the human being. It has to deal with the relationships with their, with their teammates. It has to do with dealing with their coaches, as well as interpersonally, uh, the young athletes with their parents, their girlfriends, etc. So this is really a complicated thing. I know with me as a neurologist, uh, a lot of times when they come to medical attention, they kind of look at us uh, as the enemy. They look at us as a group of doctors who, whose job is to keep them away from their goal, which is to be on the field. So I know what I have to do early on is form a rapport with them to tell them, I'm an athlete, I was an athlete, and our goal is to get you back to the field as soon as possible, And but we're going to do it in a safe fashion. And if we don't do it in a safe way, you might miss more time and you might hurt your teammates. Tell us about that kind of dialogue. Well, 
I, I think the key word that you just used, uh, Dr. Bruce, is that uh, is the word rapport. And when they come in to see me, the first thing is to establish that positive sense of rapport so I can represent the hope and so they can be comfortable uh, moving ahead and, and trusting in terms of their, of their limitations. Uh, you were quite right when you said uh, the uh, team issue is very important. They don't have that team support when they're not in the game. And therefore, uh, part of the problem is is that they feel deflated. So if you picture the people functioning as if they're a balloon, and then the injury is like letting air out of uh, out of the balloon. And so f for them to move on, they really have to feel that that because they have an injury doesn't mean they're not part of the team. They can get the same feedback by still going to games, giving what they're able to of emotional support to the other players so the other players could still look look very highly upon upon them they have to recognize the importance of patience in terms of the healing process uh, many times by trying to rush the healing process they evoke anxiety within them and as they evoke anxiety, it actually slows the healing process from an emotional standpoint. They lose what we think of as intellectual efficiency. They don't assess the situation uh, that they're in as effectively. Um, and, and in essence, they, uh, uh, their condition can deteriorate more. So we have to develop a sense of comfort within them in terms of who they are at that given point in, t in time while, as I stated before, developing a sense of hope. Uh, they are still part of the team. Being a part of the team doesn't mean being on the field all the time. It's giving the support to others and receiving it. Now, I wanted to know in your experience, if there is a significant delay between the time of the injury and the time you're able to intervene with treatment, I want to know how that affects the overall prognosis and whether you can intervene early on, in your view, will help speed the recovery. You, uh, to the first point, there's an adage that we often use that says, the greater the chronicity or the longer a disorder has been around, the more resistant to change it is. That said, we're dealing with highly motivated, more often than not, young athletes. And if we capitalize on that, uh, we, we can help them move ahead. It is, it is essential, though, that as soon as an injury takes place, that they receive appropriate treatment. The longer they let it go, uh, the more uh, difficult the intervention will be. Now, uh, we, we, we throw around terms here a lot of times uh, in the office. We're, we're professionals. We understand the terms. And what I want to do is, um, there's a lot of talk about concussion, brain injury. There's also talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. I know, because you and I collaborate, that we know this is a real diagnosis. This post-traumatic stress disorder really exists, not only with military people, not only when people die in despair, but also with respect to severe brain injuries and very scary events in people's lives. Now, as far as determining and distinguishing whether you're dealing with a concussion or a post-traumatic stress disorder, 
Dr. Silverman, could you tell us the approach you use to discriminate them, and would you treat them the same or differently? Very good point. The discrimination point is, is excellent because with post-concussion uh, syndrome, there has to be an, uh, I'm sorry, with post-traumatic stress disorder, there has to be an identifiable stressor. If the person maintains consciousness and awareness of what had taken place, let's say in a football injury or if they're an equestrian and they fall off a horse and, and, and have a, a, um, a concussion, uh, but they do not lose consciousness and awareness or loss of memory, then the potential for post-traumatic stress disorder is certainly there. You have to have the element um, uh, of, um, uh, of what we think of as trigger events evoking anxiety, evoking the symptoms of anxiety. Do keep in mind that PTSD, is, as we call it, is classified under the general category of anxiety disorders. And in this case, it has to go back to an identifiable stress and there has to be trigger events that cause some type of a limitation within the person when these trigger events take place. Just like if somebody uh, uh, is in a car accident or is in the military and, they, and, and uh, uh, some type of bomb goes off and they hear the noise in other settings when they encounter a noise that, uh, that evokes the memory of the original trauma, those symptoms start to surface. It can certainly happen uh, with sports injuries too, as I mentioned before. It may be a, a big game that they're in. Uh, maybe it's a playoff game, and they're a crucial figure in the game, and they develop, uh, uh, and, and they have a traumatic injury. Um, at, the, at that point, the, the thought of letting everybody down, there's usually a feeling of guilt, by the way, associated with PTSD. When they have a feeling of, of, somebody has a feeling of guilt about letting their team down, that's one of the indicators in post-traumatic stress disorder. Dr. Silverman, uh, I know you're very proud of your military service. You spent a full year at Vietnam from 1969 to 1970. And I think it's appropriate to segue briefly uh, in the latter part of our segment into what you experienced in Vietnam, uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder associated with that experience, and how that experience of, of fighting in Vietnam and being there was something you carried through to your clinical practice when you returned to civilian life. Well, the, the similarity lies in the effect that uh, there are traumas that take place that can cause lasting difficulty. With post-traumatic stress disorder, we usually divide it into two categories, acute and chronic. And acute would indicate that there's a sudden, uh, obviously a sudden onset, which you would have with any, but the duration of the symptoms would be uh, short. Chronic would be a very long time, and it could be recurring. Same thing with certain types of sports injuries where we would have post-concussion syndrome, for example, where somebody suffers post-concussion syndrome and they are seemingly okay, but years later they have the, re the recurrence. Uh, being in a, in a war is much, is much like that. You go on with your life, you rebuild, but there are trigger events, as I said before, that can certainly uh, cause recollections and cause you to feel a sense of deflation, in other words, not feeling worthwhile, poor self-concept, 
uh, sense of anxiety and, and unexplainable physical symptoms that could take place. I've noticed with the uh, uh, post-concussion syndrome athletes that there's an inordinate number of physical symptoms that the medical community often is not able to uh, identify a reason for. We call that somatization, where they develop a physical response. That's all part of the same thing. And that's why it's important, as you mentioned before, to have treatment and a diagnosis and treatment as soon as possible after an injury, because it, it can get worse and it can stay for a long, long time, just like po uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. We have people from uh, that were in World War II or Korea or Vietnam, and 35 years later, all of a sudden, there are trigger events that set off those symptoms. Had they gotten treatment immediately, they would have had much better lives. Well, Dr. Silverman, it's been great spending time with you today. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time, as we tend to do. Uh, I want to thank you for participating on our show, Bruce the Sports Doc, on Voice America Sports. And for you and me both, we're signing off on this segment. Thank you so much, Doctor. You're very welcome. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you are listening to bruce the sports doc with dr bruce grossinger if you have a question or comment about today's program please call in at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Voice America. My name is Dr. Bruce Grossinger. We're pleased to have Dr. Kevin Crutchfield on the show today. Dr. Crutchfield is here at the Johns Hopkins University for the uh, conference Impact Recovery. Now, Doc and I both share the love of sports. He was also an athlete. He's not just like me. We're, we're not neurologic nerds. We're athletes. You people have to realize that. So, Doctor works directly with some teams you all heard of. The Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and he also has eight years in the military and worked with the Special Forces. So with this, I want to introduce Dr. Crutchfeld, and I'd like him to briefly talk about his work with concussion. Thank you very much, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I work 
with concussed athletes. And athletes are a very interesting group of patients to take care of. For the majority of them, they really want to get better. And the interesting thing about taking care of, uh, let's say, an elite athlete at the professional level is they're trying to hide their problem from you because they don't want you to pull them out of the play because that could affect their performance bonus, their ability to become a free agent next year. So that label of having had a concussion and pulled out of competition looms over them heavy. So when they come in to see me, I have to gain their trust. They have to understand very importantly up front that I'm not here to keep them from playing because that's their job. My goal as a specialist in brain injury is to help people get back to their life and back to their job. And their job is to perform athletically at the highest level. So telling them that I'm not here to pull them from playing, but to make sure their nervous system will perform at a level that an elite professional athlete has to perform at before I let them back into play is a much more palatable way for them to approach the appointment. Right. So I think that's very important that, that you're on their team, right, literally off the bat. You're not a barrier to them, but you're going to help facilitate the return to play, but the safe return to play. Well, that's absolutely correct. If they tore their hamstring, they'd want to go see the trainer to get their muscles strong again so they can run the 40-yard dash in however insane rate they run it now. So they have to look at a brain injury as the same way. And they have to understand that when their brain is injured, it affects their athletic performance. Now, Dr. Crutchfield, when an athlete comes to you, if you're on the sideline, give us a sense for the tests that you'd run. Obviously, we're, we're not doctors out there. We're just football fans here in the audience. But I think everybody, they always ask me, and I get a lot of diversity of different answers. And, and with your experience, I know we're interested to find out Roughly speaking, in general terms, what kind of tests do you put the athletes through? And then give us a sense for how you decide when they're able to return to exertion, practice, and ultimately when they're able to return to play, if you could give us a sense for that. Okay, I'll, I'll be clear. I'm not on the sideline with the professional athlete. I am a volunteer team physician for my kids' high school football team, so I'm on the sideline there. But I think it's more important at the high school level to determine when it's safe because those players are at increased risk of more permanent injury or what we call the second impact syndrome, which leads to malignant cerebral edema, rapid brain swelling, and death. So I think the stakes are much higher in a high school athlete than they are in a professional athlete. The mature brain doesn't respond to the injury that way. So I really see the professional athletes after the game is over, within a couple of days, they've had a few days of time to heal. The trainer says, we think they're ready to go back in. You go evaluate their nervous system and see if there are any deficits that need to be addressed before we can get them back in and play. Now the high school athlete, the most important thing is to go through the series of cognitive questions that you should ask them. Where are you? You know, what quarter are we in if it's a football game? You know, do you know the score? Who did we play last week? What did you have for dinner last night? Things they don't expect as questions. If you ask the same questions over and over again, they memorize the answers. Now, one pro athlete told me that his trainer always asks what day of the week it is. And he said, 
I memorize Sunday because I play on a lousy team. We never play on Monday night, and we never play Thursday night football. We're always playing on Sunday, so I can be practically brain dead and come up with Sunday as an answer. So you have to mix it up a little bit with what you ask and make sure they're oriented and that their brain is functioning. I also go a step further and do a few quick neurologic exam things. Look at extraocular movements on the sideline, test balance, and balance gets affected very early post-concussion. I had one player, a player on an opposing high school team, uh, the EMT that was at the game and myself walked over to assist the other team. She asked them all the questions. The kid answered all the questions properly, but he w was markedly imbalanced. He couldn't tandem stand. So I said, no, you're not, you're not playing because your balance is affected. And that, and that brings me to a really valid point about when an athlete's ready to return to play. So it isn't necessarily returning to baseline on a computerized-based uh, cognitive test. That's important. But more important, an athlete has to be able to protect themselves on the field of competition. You played hockey, you know what I'm talking about. It's reaction time that gets affected and balance. If you're slow and clumsy, you're going to get hurt again. And it may not be another concussion. It might be a torn ACL. And as I tell the players, that fraction of a second difference in performance is the difference between someone lighting you up and taking you out or you scoring the game-winning point or game-winning touchdown. And the elite athlete knows exactly what I'm talking about because the game happens so fast at the pro level that decreased reaction time and even mental processing time means you can't play the game the way you should be playing the game. Doctor, I had a question. As far as um, pharmacotherapy, and uh, I talked to different people, uh, I think we will agree that rest, resting the mind, especially in the young teenager, a lot of times you'll say to them, oh, well, what are they doing? They're texting, they're playing on their computer. And you really have to categorically, and I have a 16-year-old boy, so you've really got to shut them down. And um, some of the docs and some of the traders, they kind of don't understand that there's exertion that could go on at home. So as far as your instructions to them uh, when they go home and also eventually how you determine when they could come back, could you elaborate on that, please? Absolutely. I think the hallmark of the concussive injury or mild traumatic brain injury is a disturbance of brain metabolism. Sleep is the most restorative thing following a brain injury. I always take a sleep history. If the kid is not sleeping, we got to get him sleeping, whether it be with over-the-counter sleep aids, and sometimes, unfortunately, I have to go the prescription route, but I have to get him sleeping. You have to take away all those things that rob brain energy from the kid. Like you said, the texting, the Facebook, you know, they think sitting at home resting is on the couch playing the Xbox. That's tremendous metabolic drain on their brain when that little bit of energy that's there needs to be used to repair the brain and reset things. That's the, uh, the whole uh, basis behind the graded return to play criteria as well, is we slowly have them increase their metabolic demand systemically to see how the brain responds. If the brain has healed, you can go rapidly through increasing athletic performance without exacerbation of the concussion symptoms. If the brain isn't ready yet, you rob from Peter to pay Paul. You start feeding the muscles all that energy, and the brain runs out of energy and becomes dysfunctional again. So that is the whole basis behind what I call the Zurich ladder. You have to climb this ladder one step at a time to get back in into playing. 
And like a ladder, if you skip steps, you run the risk of slipping and falling down to the level below. Well, I really like that analogy. One thing we spoke about earlier, which I felt fascinating, was you know your your work as a stroke doctor and your basic science work at NIH and how one could look at that and say, that's great, but how does it relate to what you're doing? You really were studying brain metabolism. And when you looked at stroke, you really were analyzing and localizing the areas of the brains that were injured. So it must have been tremendous, a tremendous leadage for your work with concussions. Oh, no question. I, I sort of look back and say, everything I've done in my life has now come full circle to the ultimate job for me. I was an athlete growing up. I competed at the NCAA level and even played semi-professional ball in the Washington, D.C. area. I was an athletic trainer in college. Then I went on to medical school, thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon until I realized the brain was much more fascinating. So now I've come full circle as a nerdy neurologist back in the athletic arena and having done a fellowship at the NIH, as you mentioned, in brain metabolism, this is really the hallmark of what happens post-concussion. So everything is coming into play for me to be a sports neurologist, concussion expert, and helping brains get on a path to recovery. Well, I, uh, like you, I think it's a very exciting time to be a neurologist because there's so much attention appropriately on concussions. I look at last year as the year of the concussion in the NFL. I look at the New York Times, Alan Schwartz, who's a friend of mine. It seems like every month he wrote a, a very informative article. I, I, you know, I'm sure you collaborate with the same people with Chris Nowitzki and the people at Boston. And it's an exciting time in that we are uh, we're really understanding concussion. My brother Douglas is one of the executive administrators for the National High School Coaches Association. I'm really excited to have you interact with it because I know you're interested in youth sports and high school sports. And when you hear some of the data that comes out, only 40% of the high schools across the country even have an athletic trainer. No question. And even a much lesser number have any physician input at all. So it's really like the Wild West out there. So what we're doing is we're looking at thought leaders like you, Dr. Crutchfield, to help us develop criteria, to help, to help the people in Texas and California to develop certain criteria. And this is the time because you know, we, are, we are establishing this information right now. You and I are pretty young guys, and there's nothing better than preventing a brain injury and, and, and preventing second impact syndrome. I've met you know, countless people that have had catastrophic injuries, cerebral hemorrhage, just because there was a lack of understanding and knowledge among the, the supervising coaches and trainers, and, and it's devastating for the parents. And, uh, and I'm sure, it, it, you'll agree, it, it's surprising how new all of this is for us. Oh, it's, it's incredible how this has evaded us as a society as we put more emphasis into sports. You know, I think this generation of children are far more involved in competitive athletics than previous generations used to be. And the toughest part about athletics now, especially youth athletics, is the overzealous parent that doesn't want to believe their child had a concussion. Uh, I had a kid say to me, I have to be better because I have to go to the lacrosse camp because that's where the college coaches are going to be. And I said, well, your brain heals when your brain heals. It doesn't heal because a college scout is going to be there. It heals because it's healed. So it's really interesting how we've evolved as a society and made sports such an important part of our lives. Right. And I think it's clear. I want the listeners to realize that we are not trying to shut down sports. For instance, 
I collaborate with Keith Primo, who's, who's a hockey player, and Kerry Goulet in Toronto, and Harry Carson. And we, we love sports. We believe that it's a great learning experience for kids. We learned about winning and losing. We learned so much from sports. We're not trying to say that you shouldn't play sports. We're trying to say we have to recognize the signs when a serious injury occurs. We have to have neurologic input. And again, as neurologists, it seems that a lot of these different places seem to omit us. I think we're, in general, kind of a passive group. We're not as, we're not as bold as the orthopedic surgeon. We may not be as big and strong as a group. But uh, it's great to collaborate with you as, as a fellow neurologist. Well, it, I w- it, it's funny because I had a radio show host say to me once, well, I guess as a neurologist you really don't believe in hitting. And I said, no, to the contrary. I'm an athlete. I'm a soccer player. And if you don't think soccer is a contact sport, you never played against me. I love the big hit. There's a right way to play it. There's a way to do it within the rules. There's a way to do it within the rules with proper technique that dramatically reduces the risk of head injury. Well, I really want to thank you for your participation on the show today. And for all the listeners out there, I want to let you know that Dr. Crutchfeld has a very active practice. He's at the Berman Brain and Spine Institute as part of a group practice. He's very interested in treating your concussions anywhere in the Baltimore, Washington area. Doctor, could be you could reach him directly at area code 410-601-9717. Again, it's Dr. Kevin Crutchfield, like the crutch and like the field. Very easy to say and easier to spell. And that's 410-601-9717. Thank you so much, Doctor, for your participation on the show today. Bruce, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal Injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Dateline, May 30th, 2011. The teams, Mavs versus Heat. The place, Miami Arena. The temperature, white hot. We've got the Dallas Mavericks and the Miami Heat setting the square off in two hours, not on this network. I'm here in studio with Spencer the Wizard. 
Some call him the precocious prognosticator who's going to break down the matchups, Mavs versus Heat. Welcome, Spencer. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It is a great honor to be with you all today. Right now, I will, I will be giving you the Dallas and Miami keys to winning the NBA championship. For Dallas, the first and main key for them is to stop transition. They must slow the game down and execute on offense and play their game, which is winding down the shot clock, driving to the middle of the lane, and kicking for a Jason Terry or Dirk three-point shot. The key for them is to obviously try to make as many three-point shots as possible, but if they do not make them and it's a long rebound for Miami, they must try to get back and slow down the transition of the Miami Heat. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade are two of the most potent finishers that this game has ever seen, and they are also great facilitators, and when they are running, they are just a very dangerous offensive team to stop. Just Dallas must not allow them to get many cheap points on the fast break. Number two is they must is they must defensive rebound. Udonis have Udonis Haslam and Joel Anthony have been key players for the Heat in this run to the Eastern Conference Championship. Their hustle and their scrappiness inside has enabled them to to get wide open three point shots after their offensive rebounds and get easy put back layups. It's hard enough to stop this Miami offense one time. And also my last point is that Mike Miller Mike Bibby and James Jones and Mario Chalmers. These are designated three-point shooters that the Heat have put on this team with the big three. Their job is to stand there, spread the floor, and just sit there and knock down threes, kind of like a turret. So Dallas's job is to just is to really just get out on these shooters and force Mike Miller and Mike Bibby to really put the ball on the floor and really make a play for themselves instead of just sitting there catching the ball and relaxing and shooting because that's when these players can be dangerous. If you could take these snipers out of the game, it will be a huge part in enabling Dallas to win. For Dallas, this is not the first time that they have been in this position before. In 2006, they were only two games away from winning the championship, but young Dwayne Wade, mostly by himself and and a few supporting cast members, they beat Dallas. They were so close, Mark Cuban and Dirk, to winning a championship, and they remember that feeling of being two away. Jason Terry even got a tattoo on his arm before this season. He wants a championship right now. Jay Kidd on the Nets was so close, he lost two times to the Lakers and Spurs in 2 and 3 He doesn't want to be a runner-up once more. This team wants to get over the hump. It's their time right now. Mark Cuban and this Dallas franchise, they want a ring, and they need it now. Time is running out. They are in the autumn of their careers, and it's their time to make a move and to, and to win a championship. For Miami... I'm going to go over their keys to the game. Dallas is the most lethal three-point shooting team in the league, and that is a large part of why they are here today. J.J. Barea, Peja Stoyakovic, who they acquired in the middle of the season, Dirk Nowinski, Jason Terry, Jason Kidd, they can all shoot. They are all so good at shooting three-pointers. They are lethal. 
And if they could force these players to put the ball on the floor and make difficult plays, then their length in the middle of the lane will help out. They just got to hustle, and, and, and the length of the Miami Heat will really, in my opinion, bother the Dallas shooters. But they definitely have to do this. My offensive X factor, real quick, for Miami is Dwayne Wade. There is no Derrick Rose who can really slow down Dwayne Wade in this series. Jason Kidd will most likely be against Wade, and Wade has the clear speed advantage. He, he is called Flash for a reason, folks, and I think he will get past every one of Dallas's defenders and be constantly attacking the basket. So I think my X-Factor is Dwayne Wade, and my X-Factor on defense for Miami is LeBron, who will, be, who will be guarding Dirk in crunch time. LeBron is the most athletic player in the NBA, and his will on defense will be hard to stop. And I think that he will prevent Dirk Nowinski from rising and firing in the final seconds of games or the final minutes of games. And really, I think he will bother Dirk Nowinski and really be an opposing player and someone who Dirk Nowinski has never seen before in these playoffs. My prediction for you all, America, is the Miami Heat will win this in six. LeBron James will get the monkey off of his back and... And really, LeBron James will prove that this experiment going to Miami was a great move and a great success. And really, one more point is for the NBA right now. The Miami Heat will only get better. This team of three and their few members of supporting cast, it's just amazing how far they went and how they beat Chicago and the Boston Celtics. This team will only improve for free agency and the draft. So, for the NBA, this is really their time to hold the Heat back because the Heat will only get better and will only get more dominant for the draft and free agency. Um, And so, that's my take on the NBA Finals. I'm really looking forward to this matchup. Two hours from now, I can't wait. I will be a couch potato this week. And I love NBA basketball, and it's such a pleasure to have me on the show. I thank... Bruce the Sports Doc, it's such an honor. Thank you, America. Enjoy the NBA Finals and enjoy your week. Thank you, Spencer. Well, firstly, I'm going to lead off with my prediction. I believe Mavs at seven. However, I'm going to go over keys to the heat. The big three will definitely be involved in scoring. Bosch has to hit open kickout jumpers at the elbow. Wade, driving and getting fouled. Wade and LeBron, best perimeter defense in the league. As you know, stifled... Derrick Rose. Also, they must limit turnovers. If you watch the Bulls series, you see that in the third quarter of every game, the Heat turned the ball over. And in the fourth quarter, they cleaned things up and ended up winning. The Dallas Mavs key, firstly, is the wall of Chandler and Haywood down below to prevent easy baskets, drives by LeBron. I also give the coaching nod to Rick Carlisle, with his experience and temperament, Spolstra's done a nice job, but he's very new to the hot cauldron of the NBA Finals. Looking at it here, I see that Dirk, Kidd, and Terry have played down the revenge factor versus the Heat from 2006, though privately they know this is their last hurrah. There is a national resentment of LeBron James for the decision, and this makes the Mavs a widespread fan favorite everywhere outside of South Beach. My wild cards are JB, excuse me, JJ Berea, 
for his speed and key roles in the second and third period. And also, I agree with Spencer that Mike Miller's three-point shooting will be very pivotal in the series. Finally, I believe that the left shoulder of Dwayne Wade is hurting. If you watch him, he's always icing it. And he also rested before the series. This will limit his shooting percentage, though I believe that his ability to drive to the basket appears to be the same as always. Again, there needs to be a consistent Dirk. There were times where he disappeared in stretches in the OKC series. He can't do that and have a chance of winning. Finally, I want to thank our guest today, Ray Ellis, Dr. Silberman, Dr. Crutchfeld of the Baltimore Ravens and Orioles, and I look forward to speaking to you all next week. As always, play it safe, but don't come in second place. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.